So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 27 and Revelation chapter 1. Matthew 27, Revelation 1. And we're continuing with our theme, God's tailor. God's your tailor. Tailor spelt with a T-A-I, not a Y. Okay? God's your tailor. In other words, we, we jokingly said last week, but it's not jokingly, it's actually quite true. God is stitching you up. God is fitting you up and stitching you up for your destiny. And uh, we've been talking about this now for a number of weeks and, and how God uses situations, environments to take things off you and put things on. And every situation is designed to, to, uh, to expose something and cover something at the same time. Amen? Matthew 27, starting from verse 27, and then we'll go to Revelation. And first of all, I want you to see Christ. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. So it's not a very good place to be. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again and again and again and again. They're just having a feast of inflicting pain and punishment on Christ. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put, put his own clothes back on him. And then they led him away to crucify. So as if that wasn't enough, they then take him to be crucified. Can you imagine being humiliated, banged on the head, kicked, punched, crown of thorns shoved on your head, as if that wasn't bad enough, and now they're going to parade him through the streets and crucify him, and he's got to endure far more scorn and shame and mockery and insults, as well as beatings. Then go to Revelation chapter 1, and see the same Christ again. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking, reading from verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand... He held seven stars, which were the angels of the seven churches. Out of his mouth came a sharp double sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as if though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, write it now and what will take place later. It's important that in our relationship with God that if we're going to see and understand Christ, we see him as he truly is. We don't see him in just one part of his ministry. We don't just read Revelation we read him from the moment he gets here, how he gets here, what he went through, and we see the whole picture of Christ. Why? Because in that, 
your life is going to be a shadow of what he went through. They may not crucify you, and hopefully they don't. But for sure, people will mock you. People will try and bring shame on you. Some people will try and bring a crown of thorn on your heads. In other words, they'll try and elevate you to positions that you're not, and it'll have tremendous, it will inflict tremendous pain upon you in them doing that. People will try and change your garments to suit them because they want you to wear and your life to reflect what they want for your life rather than what your destiny wants for your life. And every day people are trying to get you to do things, say things, become things, wear things that you were never designed to do. But yet certain circles will always try to undress you and dress you, to undress you, to dress you, and so it goes on. And you will wear many faces, you'll become many characters in your life if you are not aware that there are forces out there trying to do that to you. Do you understand that? Every job you take, every job you take has a certain expectation. Every job you take has a management structure and a value system. And then in that management structure and that value system, it has certain expectation of you of what it wants its employers to do and become like. And how it wants them to act. And it'll even give you a uniform. And it'll get you to wear, wear their uniform so that they can identify you as being one of theirs. Yeah? And if it doesn't give you a uniform, there is, a, there is an unseen uniform that they expect you to wear. And every society has got one, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Australasia, whatever continent you want to look at, there is this, these forces taking place. And so you've got to see Jesus in his entirety, not just in one aspect, or you're going to miss, understand why God allows certain things to happen. Because if it's good enough for Christ, it's good enough for you. You say, well, I'm not the saviour of the world. No, you're not. But you are meant to be his witness. And his witnesses will get exposed to some environments. And his witnesses will get punished. And his witnesses will get scorned. And his witnesses will get ridiculed. And his witnesses will, will have all manner of things done unto them and said unto them. And Jesus said, when they do it to you, it's, they did it to me first. So you are a reflection of what they did to me. So if you want to know what the, if you look at that model and that picture and see that, then you will know your destiny more and more. Yeah? Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my father. So what kind of destiny do you think that leads you to? But he who follows me, he says, you know, if they, if they do it to you, they do it to me. Right. And look at my destiny. And now he's the one with the sash. So we look at our destiny through the, the life of Christ, not through what men promise us or do, can do to us. Yeah? It's the Father's will to allow you to enter into certain environments that's not going to feel nice. Well, if God loved me, why would God ever let me suffer? Good question. Albeit, you should know the answer by now. Because faith must have perseverance. Faith 
must be tested. Faith must be tested. Amen? I know you don't want to hear this message, but this is, this is true. Christ teaches us that the Father who loves us, his love sometimes is incomprehensible. Have you thought that? Have you ever wondered that? Sometimes, Lord, the depth of your love, how high, how wide is the depth of God's love? It's so wide that sometimes we can't comprehend it. We've got a glimpse of it, but we don't fully understand it. And that's what makes the journey fantastic. Because we see through the trials and tribulations just how God's love works. And when we thought we were abandoned, we see that God never abandoned us. He was always with us, covering us with his garments and with his shadow of his wings. And it's only as you walk in faith later and you realize that God always had your back. But you had to go through that to see those, to get that witness and that testimony. So God wants you to step into certain environments. See, in order for you, why? Because when you walk through those environments that you don't want to be in, that's the time for you to rise, believe it or not. That's the time for you to speak. That's the time for you to prophesy. That's the time for you to give a testimony. That's the time to celebrate the goodness of God. That's the time for God to address you, strip you, and redress you. It's in, the, it's in that ugly time, that dark time, that, that back against the wall time, that God does his work. And you want to run away from all that. And you still want to look like Christ. There ain't no looking like Christ without a trial. That's why the Bible tells us, consider it what? Pure joy. Why would I want to consider a trial a joy? Because it is a joy if you get the right understanding and the right perspective. But if it's why, why me, why me, 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 get me, me out of that. And you've got to see that God is about to birth some character and perseverance. Because he says it, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops. Develops what? Perseverance. That wonderful word called perseverance. You know, there's some people you just don't want to persevere with. There's some conversations you don't want to persevere with. There are some actions, responsibilities, commitments you don't want to persevere with. But you must. I don't always want to persevere with Carol sometimes and she doesn't always want to persevere with me. Some days we don't like each other. But then we remind ourselves, we love each other. We have to persevere. Why? Because in the perseverance, we build character. Yeah? And perseverance, listen, perseverance must finish its work. <laughs> I know you don't want to hear this. This is an encouraging message nonetheless. Perseverance must finish its work. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. So that you may be mature. You can always tell the immature, immature Christians because they've never let the trials of God produce the fruit that they were always intended to produce. So what they do is they throw the toys out the pram. Good Manchester terminology here. They throw the toys out the pram and they fight against man. They fight against God. And they always say, this can't be God because it makes me feel bad. That person's making me feel like this. So it can't be God. No, it is God. Not always, but... But even if it's not God, it's still a good trial. Because your attitude's still being revealed. So perseverance must finish its work. So why don't you just say to the person at the side, he's talking about you. 
The person at the side is called Mr. and Mrs. Perseverance. And some of us are finished. Some of us are finished in God. Why? Because you won't allow perseverance. You will not allow perseverance, so you call Mr. Finished. So God has to strip you down so we can start the process and keep the process inside us. None of us like this. I don't volunteer for this, but I must accept it when I realize it's on my life. So it must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Wow. You see, when you're immature and you're incomplete, you lack. But you don't see you lack, and I don't always see we lack. We lack completion. We lack maturity. We lack perseverance. And when we lack, we get exposed. Now, you see, the wonderful thing about God is this, or perception is this. What you think you hide, others see. Have you, you know, you wear it so well. You wear it so well that others can see. But because it's your blind spot, you think you hide it really well and self-deception comes upon you, not on the others. And this can be so serious to our advancement. So circles begin to appear where you can no longer touch anybody in your circle. Why? Because they've all taken two steps back. But when you start showing some humility and you get a sense of, hmm, the circle begins to close in again. So you're now close to people to relate with them again. But the more you keep denying and ignoring that others may see things you don't, the circle gets back and you find yourself alone. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. I'll say it again. You know I'm right. So let me ask you a question, a very serious, serious question. What do you lack? What do you lack? I'm all right. Well, you lack some humility straight away. I'm all right. What do I lack? Let me ask you another question. What do you think you need? It's the same question, isn't it? No. Stay with me. What do you think you need? Can I just ask you a few questions this morning? Is it okay? I'm going to do it anyway, but it's better if I've got you on board. Then. What trial will or has been your undoing? What trial will or what trial already has become your undoing? Mm. Some of us have been undone by a trial. In other words, we did not persevere. We are still immature. We're still ignorant. We're still incomplete. And because we... we, we brushed the trial to one side and we never embraced it and wouldn't let God complete it in us, in that area, the trial actually became our undoing. It revealed to us things we didn't like, 
So what we did, we threw all the toys out the pram and we pushed everything away from us. So when you won't let God come in and you won't let people come in, I'm not talking, when I say people, I'd have to clarify every step. I'm not talking about everybody, but you won't let somebody in. Then guess what? That trial will become your very undoing. Now here's the point. You can stay at that place in your relationship with God. And God can only ever answer to you at that level. Do you understand this? Five years can go by and all of a sudden you're feeling good about yourself. And then all of a sudden you say, God, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Give me a prophetic word and God will take you right back. That's the last conversation we had. And that's where you left me, so that's where I'll be. I do not forget. Because you're still incomplete. You're still immature. Why? So we need to go back to what wasn't finished. Why? Because we can't go on if we don't address what you walked away from. So many Christians try to disconnect from God, come back to him two or three years later, and think they can just get on the bus, and you can get on the bus, but you still have to go back to that issue. Why? Because though God loves you and forgives you and washes you and cleanses you, there was a lesson in there to teach you. Why? Because you're immature, incomplete. God wants to supply the lack and address the need. There's a good word. He wants to supply the lack, but address the need. This is good. Let me go back and ask you a question. What trial will... Or what trial has become the making of you? So there are some trials that will actually undo us because of our own attitude. Not the trial itself, but the trial revealed our attitude and revealed our incompleteness and our immaturity and our incompleteness. Some trials, when they come to our life, will make them woman and they'll make them man. You pass the test. Yes? Look in the Bible. How many trials did Jacob mess up before he became Israel? How many trials did Abraham mess up before he became the father of nations? How many times did Peter mess up before he became that apostle that we all know him as and read about? How many times... Did the disciples get themselves in trouble and miss the lesson of the trial and God had to go back and revisit that so that they, couldn't be, so that they wouldn't become incomplete and lacking on anything? What you miss, God will revisit. What you miss, God will revisit. I'm telling you, I've seen it in my own life. You know, a father with his own son sometimes will look at his child and say, today's not the day... I'll deal with this issue. So the kid thinks he's forgot about it. The child thinks dad's forgot about it. But dad hasn't. Why? Because dad being dad waits for the right moment to talk about the issue when he feels the window is open and the child will now respond. That's a good leader. But the child either wants to talk about it today or he wants to run away from the situation forever. 
We notice the two extremes. So I wait. You might wait. Father God waits and he waits until he sees your heart is ready and he says, now let's go back to that conversation now, John. Why? Because now when we have this conversation, I'm not going to get a reaction. I'm now going to get a right response. There are some conversations you can't have with people because you know you're going to get a reaction. So you wait for time. Now, time doesn't change everything, but it does change some things. And depending on how the person is and who the person is and where they've been to in life and what they've accumulated, you can maybe readdress some situations that they would rip your head off for two weeks ago, but now you can sit down and you can talk about it sensibly. What was the difference? You were the difference because you waited for the right time. And in that right time, what you did, you prayed about it and you watered the ground and you said, Lord, there's a thorn in that person, but if I try and remove it right now, we're just going to get, ow, 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 ow. So if you keep praying for that person and water the, the situation, the ground, when it comes time, you have that conversation. Have you ever been in a conversation? You think, I don't want to have this conversation because I know what they're going to be like. There's going to be a volcano under there and it's going to erupt. So you say, Lord, 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 go before me, Lord. Lord, I'm really praying tonight, Lord. Lord, just give me the wisdom to, to help this person, Lord. I have a gun and I have a knife or I have a, I have a little skeleton, what do you call them? Clippers to pull out the thing. I said, don't use the tweezers, that's it. Don't use the gun, don't use the knife. Bit extreme. Then, Father, you've got to show me. You can show me how to do it, Lord. Give me your wisdom. When you get there, the persons that I've been thinking, I was a bit of a jerk the other week, wasn't I? Yes, I'm really sorry. I want to apologize. You go, wow, God went before me. Whoa, I didn't even have to say anything. Why? Because now the ground's been watered and the person's opened up the womb and they've given you the part. So now you can have a conversation. You didn't even have to take it out. But when that splinters inside, it goes septic. And the more the splinters left inside a person's life, it gets worse and worse and worse and it infects the whole body. So now you can't get it out. It needs surgery. Oh, yeah. Say, Lord, over to you. I am not their anaesthetist. I'll knock them out. If I talk to him right now, Lord, I'll knock him out. So he goes, ah, so right now the attitude in you is not good. There is no right way of doing wrong. There is no right way of doing wrong. And mother used to say to me, two wrongs don't make a right. But there definitely is no right way of doing wrong. And just because everyone's doing it, doesn't make it right. And just because no one's doing it, it doesn't make it wrong. That's wisdom 101 this morning. So what trial has been, what trial has undone you or will undo you? And what trial has been the making of you? Or will be the making of you? Good question, Sonny. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. What testimony do you really think you have? Is it one of stubbornness? Is it one of resistance? Is it slander? Is it complaining? Is it one of, I was, I was wronged here, so I, I, so I now have the right to say anything, do anything, because I was wronged? Is that your testimony? Is it one of self-pity? Or is it one of perseverance? 
Is it one of struggle, coming through to faith, victory, and breakthrough? Is it one of humility? Is it one of, Lord, seek me, uh, search me, Lord, see if there's any offensive way within me first? Hmm. That's a different angle of coming at it, isn't it? Lord, am I the problem or am I the, or am I the answer? Hmm. That's another way of looking at it. Lord, how do you see this situation? Mm, that's a very different way of looking at it. Lord, speak to me, show me. You see, the former ways of addressing it shows you're still immature, ignorant, and lacking. The latter part of that answer was you've got maturity to some degree. And your maturity to some degree is actually working for you. The greater the immaturity, the worse you will respond to everything. The greater the maturity, the better you'll respond. Yeah? Because with a greater maturity, God can show you things differently than when you're ignorant and immature. So, Jesus shows us, go back to the two scriptures we read. Jesus shows us two very, very different pictures of himself. And he shows us in his worst moment, and he shows us in his best moment. Some of us don't have those two moments. Some of us only have a worse moment, we seem to show. And we have a, we have a not so worse moment, which is not really a good moment. It's just you being you or me being me. And others have, can show in their life the worst moments and the best moments. And there has to be two in your life. Because if you're going to have a testimony and you're gonna, your trials are going to create a testimony, you must show people the worst times in your life and the best. And here's Jesus in this section here. He goes from the mocking, the scorning, the beating, the bruising, the shame, the nakedness, the ridicule. He shows us how he dealt with all that. Which is so important for us because you have witnessed and experienced some of that to a measure. Albeit, you stopped running, on, you stopped running your race, but he kept on running his race. Why? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. And what was the joy? You and me. See, he could, he could look past himself. You and I only look to ourselves. You and I don't see the joy of suffering. We just see the pain. What is this producing? What is the benefit of this? What possibly can come good from this? You ever asked that question? I have. Many times. I shouldn't have to feel humiliated. No, you shouldn't. I shouldn't have to be mocked. No, you shouldn't. But guess what? It's part of the t-shirt. It's part of the fridge magnet. It's the small terms and conditions you haven't read. It's always been there in the scripture. You just didn't read it. Anybody who wants to live a holy, godly, godly life will be persecuted. It says that in the book of Hebrews. But it's up to you if you want to keep it small print. Or you want to make it large. I'm under no illusion. Suffering is part of an effective witness. Yes? I'm under no illusion. I went to a, he went to the cross. He bled. He had someone shove a, sh a spear in. You've never had someone shove a spear in you. 
Oh, you felt a few arrows. But yeah, you felt stabbed in the back, but you've never had the spear thrust into your side and bleed. You've never been hung on a cross. And someone give you vinegar in your mouth without any chips and salt. (laughs) Then we see another picture. We see the man Christ Jesus in heaven. And we see him. So from one side of the picture, we see his clothes were torn. Listen, when was the last time someone ever thought that your garments were worth casting lots for? They might have ripped him and, and, and put him in shame, but they knew those garments were worth something. Those garments he wore were worth something. So when the people are stripping you down and God's allowing them to strip you down, your garments are worth something. Or the enemy would not be stripping you down or God would not be allowing the enemy to strip you down. You're worth something. And they put the clothes back on him, but they weren't in the same condition they were when they took him off him. You can, you can believe that. But here we see him stood in victory. We see him clothed with majesty and splendor. Now he stands in a white robe and a go- with a golden sash across him and his chest. And his eyes are burning like fire, feet burning like bronze. He has a voice that sounds like many waters. I want to hear that voice. When we see Jesus in this, in Revelation, we see that he carries a testimony. What's the testimony? I was dead, but now (laughs) I'm alive. The keys of, of Hades are in my hands. Why? That didn't look like they were in his hands when they were crucifying him. He didn't look like he was alive when they were beating him to an ounce of his life. He took the poundings and the beatings. And yet, he got through until, until, once I, once I was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm showing you, he's saying, that there are two sides to Christianity. There's the muck, the trials, the complaints, the, the, the ugly side, and there is the victory side. It's possible to stand on both sides. No one wants to go through what he went through. Not one of us puts our name down on that. Not one of us. No one's ever worn a t-shirt and saying, I was crucified and and I've lived again. And now I live again. No one's done that. But he did it for us. It's important that we witness with this guy on both sides. You can't just live in revelation. Now, interesting thing here. If I give you a set of keys... You ready for this? I'm setting you up. Yeah, David, hold that key. I've given you the keys for life and death. So what are you doing stood at the door knocking? What are you doing stood at the door knocking when I've given you the key? So many of us have stood there knocking on the door. Behold, I stand on the door at the knock. If any man... Da, 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 we know, we, but you're not, you're not one of those standing at the door knocking no more. You've got keys. 
So you've got understanding and revelation and insight of how to get from the ugly side to the bright side. But he says, I've got the keys to the kingdom. How many keys are on there? Well, let me ask you another question. How many keys are there to wisdom? So what does he say? You've got the keys, but what David doesn't know is, if I say, David, go and open that door, well, he does because he knows the keys, but if I say to you, go and open that door on the left, down the left corridor, third door, he's going to say, which key is it? So what doesn't he have? Knowledge, wisdom, and experience. That's where you and I suffer because you don't have the wisdom, you have the key, but you don't have the wisdom, knowledge, or the experience. So when the trial comes, you think the trial is so overwhelming that you're finished or you throw your toys out the pram when he says, why don't you just stop and say, Lord, what key do I need? What key do I need to step in that's going to get me up the road to perseverance, maturity, so I won't be incomplete, I won't be lacking and I become more mature. The keys are the answer. You've got to ask for the key. Show me the key, Lord. When I'm ever praying for you as a church, I'm always asking, Lord, show me the key. Give me the wisdom. How do I change that person? How do we change those people? How do we address that situation? Lord, I need the wisdom. Wisdom is keys. Yes? Wisdom is keys. So, when we see him clothed in majesty, we see him with all the keys. Thank God, God's got the keys. And then he says, I give you the keys. So God isn't stood there saying, just drop keys down, drop keys down. You've got keys, what you don't have is wisdom. So he says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask. But he must believe that he's received it. So that he can then go and use it. So how do you find the wisdom key? As you keep progressing and keep progressing, you try certain things, then all of a sudden, you go through the door. Some doors I fell through. Other doors were open for me. But at least I found the door. Have you ever witnessed that? Some doors I just, whoop, fall right through it. There's a door that no man can open and there's a door that no man can shut. And what God opens, no man can shut. But what is shut, no man can open. And it's shut until you can come to that place where your heart can be changed and where wisdom can be given to you. Amen. Some of you are asking, Lord, why am I not progressing? Well, it's a good question for you to ask that. I haven't got the answer. But the fact that you're not progressing tells me there's a problem. And tells me that this is a good opportunity to say, Lord, can you show me? Is it me? Is it obstacles around me? Which one is the problem? God might say, it's both. Well, okay, if it's both, show me how to. Address me so I can be fixed. Address me so I can address the situation. If you fix me, Lord, I can then fix the situation to the best of my ability. God says, you want me to fix it, but you want me to leave you alone. No, the key to fixing that is fixing you. And there's the problem why so many of us don't grow. Because we're praying for God to change that person, and God says, no, actually, you're the problem. So, Jesus gives us a command. Right therefore. Right therefore. 
Listen to what he says right at the end of that revelation. After we've just seen him in the heavens, he says this statement. Write, therefore, what you have seen. What is now and what will take place later. Let me say that again to you. In light of what I've been saying, let me say this to you. Write, therefore. So he's given him a command. There's an action now has got to be taken. John's seen this revelation. John, who was with him at the beatings and the mockings. Watch this. John, who was with him at the beatings and the mockings and the scorning and all that. John, who was there at the beginning, now sees the one on the throne. So John's now got a testimony. Well, I was there when they did that to you. And now I'm here. So now he says, now, John, you've seen the best and the worst of me. You've seen the worst and you've seen the best of me. You've seen how my father intervened. You saw me how I walked with the Lord. You showed me how I spoke to you. You saw me how I addressed you. You saw the way I dealt with you. You saw the way I addressed the wrongs that was in you. You've seen everything, John. There's nothing that you didn't see on earth. So then John could say, that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched, and our own hands of experience, I proclaim this to you. John had the full testimony in front of him. So you and I don't see all that, but we see that through our own lives because that's how we identify with him. Yes? If we identify with him in our sufferings, we will identify with him in his glory. Right. So sufferings is essential for you to identify. Trials. Right. Now, I hope I'll never become your trial. But some things I say will become a trial to you. So the thing is, he now says, John, I have a command for you. And the same command that God gave to John, he's giving to you right now. Therefore, write. Write down. Write down what you've seen. Write down what you've seen. If you're going to go through trials and tribulations, you better start recording some stuff you've gone through. Write down what you've seen. That's the past. It's important you record the past. Now, you might be like Jesus. Your life was full of scorn, shame, discipline, or indiscipline. He might have been ridicule. He might have been abuse. Write. Write it down. Write it down. Why? Because that's what you're leaving. That's what you're leaving. That was Egypt. Write it down. Make it clear. Why? Because you writing it down will remind you you don't want to go back. Write it down. Make it clear. I'm asking you to write it down. Then he says this. So that's your past. The past is a good teacher. The past is a good teacher. It can also be a very cruel teacher, by the way. But nevertheless, it's still a teacher. The past is a cruel teacher, but the past is a very good teacher. Why? Because it shows us where we made mistakes. It shows us the behaviors of other people and how not to be like that. Yes? The past is a good teacher. Now, it's not all flowers and sunshine in everybody's past. 
in some people's past, they're just dark clouds with outbreaks. It's like a Manchester weather forecast. Dark, rainy, with outbreaks of sunshine. We just don't know how long it's going to last, but it's definitely we know the rain's on the way. Other people have a different type, but the trouble is, we've, well, the thing is, we've all got dark clouds in our past. Write them down. In other words, don't hide them. Be true with yourself. Because when you write down the dark, the past of your life, you can turn around and say, thank God. Thank God he's pulled me from that. Thank God. I no longer have to endure that ever again. Thank God I'm on the other side. Thank God there's more sun than there is rain. Or you can say, do you know what? I still feel, I still feel the wounds of that past. But God, help me, Lord, to make the journey across. Lord, there's lack and there's need inside me. Help me, Lord. Put people in front of me who can help me with wisdom, who can give me the keys that I need so that I can get freer and freer and more. I can grow. I can become mature. I can become wise. So I will not lack anything. That's a different attitude. Rather than just saying, I can't go forward because my past still holds me back. You know, anyone who won't let go of the past, you can't be led. But if you can turn someone around and and get them on a slow, progressive walk with God, it's amazing who God can bring across your path and what God can do. If you're willing to trust God one day at a time. So you've got to write the past It's good for you to write it down, as painful as it may be, because the past is the teacher. And guess what? There's no such thing in God. Listen to this. It's going to help you. There is no such thing in God as a free education. You pay for everything God teaches you. You pay for everything God teaches you, John. Did you know that? No? No. The things that go deep within your heart came at a cost. When truth liberates you and brings you into true freedom, you realize there was a cost. God always does not educate you freely. There's always a cost. So what's the cost? Today you've heard, put down your nets, follow me. That's the cost. Endure. Persevere. Keep looking to me. That's the cost. Every time God gives you an education, there's a cost. And those who squander the education don't get the benefits of the education. But to those who take the words of God and apply them, do you know who the most, the most unproductive person in the kingdom is? Let me say it again because it's so significant. The most unproductive person in the entire kingdom is the one who hears the words and does not put them into practice. He didn't say the ones who came to church. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's the one I can count on. She's the one I can count on. Now, to put those words into practice, Irene, there's going to be a cost. Hmm. And that's the problem. We want to follow God without the cost. The will behind me. 
You know, was it uh, the cross behind me? I can't remember the words of the song now. Uh, the cross behind me. Da, da, da. No turning back, no turning back. Was it the will behind me? That's it, the cross before me. Yeah, I wish. For most Christians, the will is still in front of them and the cross is behind them. They've turned it the other way around. And the Germans sing, near miles are up, near miles are up. No turning back. Well, we've turned back. We've not even started. Never mind turning back. So write, write, record, and learn from the past. The past is a good teacher. Then he says to him, write then. Just go to that actual verse so you can see it. Here we go. Yeah. Write then what you've seen. Write what is now. What will take place later? That's the last verse. Verse 19 of Revelation chapter 1. So I'm finishing. Don't worry. Coming to an end. Write and learn. Write down. Learn from the present. The present is now. The present. What is the present teaching you? What is the present teaching you right now? What's it teaching you to avoid, Daniel? And what's it teaching you to embrace? At your age right now, very, very important that God can teach this young man what to avoid and what to embrace. It's very important that the Holy Spirit has a voice into our lives to teach us what to lay hold of and what to put aside. Welcome to ADT. It's so important because the present, you've only got the present. God is speaking you today. You have no tomorrow yet. It's a promise, but no guarantees. Millions of people didn't wake up this morning, but millions of people have. And you've woke up. So write down what God is speaking to you today. What lessons have you learned Today, when I say today, I don't just mean 24 hours sometimes. In this last month, yeah, this last year, this is the present to some degree. The present's more than 24 hours, that's what I'm trying to say. Your present is teaching you something. Well, you should all be able to say, well, it's teaching us to stand up. Well, okay, well, how do we need to stand up? There's some principles there of how to stand up. Well, it's teaching us to step in. Now, that's called a quote. You need to go beyond the quote, and what's it teaching you? how to stand up, how to step in, what to stand upon, the dimensions needed to stay in. Until, until what? I become the move and become the demonstration. Lastly, write down, he says, prepare the future. Write down the future. What will be in the future? Que sera, sera. The only problem with que sera, sera, that they couldn't see the future. They said it's not ours to see. Well, that's a lie. The future is ours to see. Yeah? Write down what you need to be prepared for, what you need to be trained for, what you need to be equipped in. Write those things down because that's your future you're talking about. If you can't see your future, why do you expect one? If I wrote down my future, what I believe my future is for my family, and we've got a plan. Sometimes it looks a little bit shady. Other times it looks clear. You know, I'm not my grandchildren's parents. Natalie is. But I've got a plan for my kids, my grandkids. I'll tell you why. Do you know why? Because the Bible tells me it's a wise man who leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You and Ben are not getting it. The Waynes are getting it. 
So if I'm going to be a wise man who leaves an inheritance for my children's children, right? I need to have some future plans so they've got an inheritance. Yes? Can you see the wisdom of that? So I need a future for my grandkids. Why? Because I want them to be prosperous. I want them to have a start and a future. I want my, my grandkids to be able to buy a house. So I need a future. So I, but I need to understand what my future is in order for me to prepare a future for my grandkids and my children. My children's children. So two generations I've got to see. I've got to see into the future. So if I listen to the song, K Sera Sarah, there's no future to see, then I'll never prepare a future for Ben, Scott and Laura and for the grandkids. So I have to prepare, I have to see into the future. It's not just about me and Carol. You prepare today for your future. Today you've heard this word. Today is the day you prepare for your future. What do you want your future to be? Step into your future today. Step into your future today. And therefore, Linda, you prepare today for your future and step into your future today. Step into your future today. You may not have tomorrow. You've only got today. And therefore, your trials can point you to your future. I'm suffering today. But thank God, Jesus, the one who said, Behold, I was dead, but now I'm alive. He saw that day when he said, For the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. So that... In his future, he could turn around and say, Behold, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of life and death for you. What a fantastic statement. But if he hadn't have gone through that, he could never have declared this. So now the God who's in the future speaks to you and I. And he says, write down the past. Write down the present. Write down the future. Can you see this? Now, I wonder if you'd be bold enough when you go home to do this. Because I'm telling you now, if you write down the past, that can be emotional, but it also can be very, very therapeutic. If you write down the, the present, it can be hopeful or it can be less hopeful. When you don't see you have a future, that's a good question to call on the Lord and go back to the word because he says, I've given you plans for a hope and a future. The fact that you don't see it doesn't mean say you don't have one. So then you have to call on me and call on me and I will show you. So Lord, what key do I need to see my future? Well, you need the first key is to ask the Holy Ghost. Show me, oh God, through the word, through the word, yeah. my future. I don't need a prophecy. I need your word. Yeah. Yeah. And then the prophecy will come and sit on top of the word. What God's already revealed to you, the prophecy then will sit on. But if you've got no word and you've got a prophecy, it's dangerous. Yeah. Prophecy is not wishful. Wishfulness. It's not cards you give to people and say, you know, there's your future. We're not tarot card readers. We're not magicians. The word must speak to us. So when prophecy does come, it actually confirms what God has already said first. So let's stand to our feet, if you will, please.
It's so important that we grab this. So let me ask you, Tom Duffield, what trial will become your undoing? Don't answer me. <laughs> Think about it. John, what trial has made you? Can you define it? Two extremes. So we went through some stuff. Thank God we're still here. And the fact that you're still here is evidence, Edith, that God still has need of you. The fact that you're still here is proof that God still has a plan for your life. Now the issue is, will you seek him for it? Today. We can be defined by our trials. Your trial may be your husband. Your trial may be your children. Your trial may be your boss. Your trial may be your credit rating. Your trial can be anything. The trial can be your attitude. But will it define you? And if so, how will it define you? One thing you can be rest assured of, and, and, and if you don't believe anything I've said this morning, but you can believe this, you will have trouble in life. Right, when trouble comes to your house, will it define you? And if so, how? So raise your hands if you will. And say, Father, I need wisdom. I do lack. I have lack in my life. And I have need. And next week I will come back to know the difference. Because I will tell you next week the difference between lack and need. What you lack is not what you think you need. And what you need is not always what you lack. And I'll show you the difference next week. Because that misunderstanding is what puts you on the wrong road. So Father, I need the wisdom, the keys, the wisdom to open the door. I thank God I've got the keys. Because your word tells me you've given me the keys to the kingdom. What I need, Father, is the wisdom to know which door to open and how to use the keys. I'm not fighting whether I've got the set of keys. I have them, Lord. Your word tells me. Thank you for the keys. So, Lord, show me this week. And part of the key to this prayer that you pray now is to write down your past, the present, and your future. Because that's going to then determine what keys you will need. And if, you're, if you can respond to this word, then God has something to work with. But if you can't even do this small thing, then wisdom can never come to you. Wisdom won't come to you if you can't even do that simple thing. I'm not asking you to show me. I'm asking you to write down and read it. And even if tears come in your eyes, keep writing. If joy comes in your heart, keep writing. If despondency is in you, keep writing. 
irrespective of your emotions, keep writing until you're finished. And then, and then you will rise, and then you will approach what needs to be approached. Amen? Amen. Amen. And you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That you can bet your bottom dollar on. So, Father, right now, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you have ministered this word into the hearts of your church today. Father, seal this word. Seal this word. Father, we want to be defined by our our trials, but not to the point where they kill us. But, Lord, we want to grow from them. We want to learn from them. We don't want to abort or sabotage our journey, our destiny. But we want to rise, Lord, and go to a whole new level of the prize of knowing you and becoming like you in your suffering and knowing the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. So whatever trial you're going through right now, put on a new attitude. (coughs) Put on a new attitude. Say, Father, teach me what I need, what needs to be taught to me right now. In the midst of what I'm going through, what I potentially think is going to come my way, show me, Lord, how I am to respond. In the name of Jesus. And the people of God said? Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.